2: Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Supercars has reportedly rejected a foreign takeover bid. Belgian media company Fantech is understood to have made an offer to buy the series from new owners Race, which was turned down by the Race Board. It's a decision that not everyone has been happy with, it seems, and we'll have more on that later in the pod. There's been some movement on the Gen 3 development front. The new fuel filler has been signed off. The engines are said to undergo endurance testing in the US, and the oil system will be under scrutiny during testing at the Bend this coming Friday and the following Monday. Chas Mostert, meanwhile, has had his first taste of Gen 3 hardware at Queensland Raceway last week. Interestingly, he drove the Mustang, not the Camaro, ahead of Walkinshaw & Ready United's impending switch to Ford. Sad news from across the ditch, with motor racing activities set to cease at Pukekohe Park from April next year onwards. Owner Auckland Thoroughbred Racing will shift its focus solely to horse racing with a plan to increase training density by building additional stabling facilities. Supercar says it's committed to racing in New Zealand beyond Pukekohe's closure. Premier Racing has moved into its new permanent home, a state-of-the-art facility in Arundel on the Gold Coast. The return of World Series Sprint Cars has been postponed for another year. Speedway Australia made the decision to stick with the Sprint Car State Series for a third consecutive year due to concerns over tyre supply and shipping delays. Shane Van Gisbergen crashed out of the lead of the Hawkes Bay Rally in New Zealand over the weekend. The Supercars points leader was 17 seconds up on the field when he slid off the road on the fourth stage. Ben Hunt went on to take victory. And Cooper Webster is the first driver to be confirmed for the Tasman series. The teenager will continue with Versa Motorsport for the second part of the S5000 season, which kicks off on the Gold Coast in October. Joining me this week to discuss all that and much more is a teammate that is actively campaigning for the return of the Wellington 500 following Pukekohe's demise, Stefan Bartholomew's. Stefan, how are you this week? G'day Andrew. Wow, that would be incredible, Wellington. Um, I know.
3: That, uh, that looked like a pretty wild joint back in the day. Yep. I reckon some of those uh, bumps and the the angle of some of those walls would give a modern track inspector a heart attack, don't you reckon?
2: Well, that's that's what we want to see. We're sick of run. We're sick of acres of runoff. We're sick of <laughs> like. Let's let's get back old school. Let's trade old school for old school and bring back the welling. That's I mean that's what you're doing, not me, obviously. It's got my vote. There you go. Um, There's some pretty tasty stuff going on in uh, Supercars Ownership Land this week, Stefan. Uh, Probably not a discussion I necessarily expected us to be happening less than a year after the last change of ownership for the series. Uh, Although there has been a lot of rumblings about all sorts of things related to finances and the makeup of boards and the split of boards and all this sort of stuff. Pretty much since race took over um, supercars last year. Now, just to briefly explain what's been going on, according to a report from the Australian newspaper, European sports media outfit Fantech offered to buy out the existing shareholders, and take on a reported $45 million of debt. Uh, the shareholders would have seen as much as a 20% return on their initial investment, but after letting Fantec undergo due diligence and all that stuff, the race board voted not to sell. That didn't necessarily go down well with everyone in the ownership circle. Uh, Gary Rogers told Auto Action that he thought it was a fair deal and spoke about race being in the market for more money to fund the business, and, um, Now, on that, it appears that the Domicet family, which is part of the ownership group, just tipped in a $10 million loan, and Race is now looking for another $10 to $12 million uh, of investment before the end of the year. So obviously, all of that plays into the bigger picture of should they have sold, should they have hung on. Stefan, here's the bit that I don't necessarily understand. If the business is just a bottomless money pit and everyone is destined to lose their shirts... Wouldn't, you know, you've got Barclay Nettlefold as the chair, you've got all of these business people involved, the Domazets and all that involved in the investment of it. Wouldn't they be more than happy to take their 20% return and tap dance off into the sunset? I mean, why would they hang on and keep looking for more cash if they didn't see a longer term gain, I guess is sort of the idea that sticks in my head. What do you make about what seems to be a pretty messy situation?
3: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot to digest out of all of that, and I think the most extraordinary thing for me is the way that's all playing out so publicly, Mm, and I think that shows, it really shows the level of frustration that's coming from the ARG side, Um, the fact that they have gone so public with it, and You know, funnily enough, like last week, we kind of did dip into this topic a bit serendipitously with the talk about the Trans Am situation with Shane Van Gisberger not being able to drive. And we we sort of flagged that this whole ownership mix hasn't really worked out. And it's important to remember that, um, you know, Barclays bid and ARG, they they were separate bids Mm -hmm. and they sort of came together very late in the piece. Um, as a bit of a marriage of convenience with, with Barclay needing ARG's funding Just to get the whole thing over the line So clearly the ARG guys thought This was going to help all their categories too um, But it's been an uncomfortable fit from the start And uh, yeah, it's just It comes down to it's, it's two parties Whose goals aren't really
2: aligned And it's it's not really a steady state scenario Something Something has to give Yeah, it is does kind of have a Cold War feel to it, you know. If we if we look at that, the ARG involvement in this uh, mess, you know, there's been multiple instances of the Rogers going public or at least semi-public with their grievances um, as this news has sort of come to light. You know, first there was the comments from Gary regarding his disappointment that the Fantech deal. Wasn't taken. Uh, the conversation quickly shifted to how disappointed the Rodgers are that having ARG in that ownership circle hasn't brought supercars and ARG closer together, as you just pointed out. Um, Barry Rogers told Nines Wildwood of Sports that things like like Giz being banned from driving the Trans Am could lead to them wanting to get out of their shares in in supercars. There was then a letter sent to supercars team owners by Gary Rogers explaining that you know he wanted to buy into the series to bring the whole industry closer together and outlining his plan to grow the sport, which was mostly wrapped around the fact the series you know only race twelve times a year at the moment. Um, Stefan, when you, when you hear these guys talking about wanting to perhaps sell their shares, do you think that's genuine? I mean, if they wanted to sell, I'm not sure that public comments, you know, basically saying this thing's no good are really all that helpful in terms of getting the price that you want. So, to me, it feels more like sort of posturing and politicking. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I mean, there'd, there'd been some sort of behind the sheds chat that um, Barclay was trying to raise this this funding to, to buy out ARG before all of this um, all of this talk of, of Fantech and this offer had become public. I mean, one would think that the outcome of all of this is probably going to be that ARG sells out. I mean, it's not working for them. So one way or another, you can't really see it continuing like it is. But, yeah, I mean, again, it just comes back to ARG aren't getting... What they want They want supercars To help all those ARG categories uh, By having them on The big events Like I I think For me The future of ARG Is a bit More Unclear And uncertain Than the future Of Mm -hmm. supercars Like We've talked a lot About that stand deal That ARG did uh, At the start of this year Which is lucrative From an upfront Point of view But Their viewership's Very small The attendance of their events Is really low So Where's it all going like is that a competitor based racing thing or is it a real big commercial product and in order to be the latter They need that crossover with supercars. That was the whole idea of buying in but it's just not happening And That's partly because you've got warring broadcasters in basically seven and nine That um, seven aren't going to want these nine properties on on the big supercars events. So when you look at all that I kind of worry for the future of ARG more than I do for supercars but I think the other point I'd make with this is like how real was this fantech bid that supercars rejected like there hasn't been a lot of sort of scrutiny and and detail on that like did it have finance was it fully financed was it subject to raising the cash I find it a little bit hard to believe that there was an entity out there willing to pay 20% overs upfront for this thing. Like as convenient as that would be as a solution to get ARG out of this deal that's not working for them, that kind of really came out of the blue. And I think there's a few question marks on that.
2: Yeah, well, I totally agree. And I guess that's what I come back to my earlier point. Like it all seems too good to be true to the fact that it was just pushed aside. There's obviously some there's some bigger picture in play, just to put you on the spot um, slightly. I mean, you mentioned the stand deal and, you know, about, you know, is this competitor based racing? Does it want to try and be uh, commercially driven? Like, obviously, that was a big blow to the competitors, um, you know, when that deal was announced, particularly so close to the start of the season because um, they were all expecting to have free-to-air TV and had sold sponsorship packages based on that and all that sort of stuff. So, obviously, that has played its role here. I totally agree that there is – big question marks to be asked over the future of ARG and where they go with all that stuff, because it does feel like the momentum has maybe slowed down a little bit compared to a couple of years ago, but certainly, you know, pre, um, pre COVID and all that sort of stuff. But if you flip it over to the supercar side, I mean, in this letter and in a lot of the public comments, um, Gary Rogers has talked about, you know, how beneficial it could be for supercars to have these extra support categories that are there and have TCR and the bill and this and that. But, is that really the case? I mean, do we have? We, it's not like we have some sort of supports crisis for supercars. You've got Porsche that you know are heavily investing to be involved in Carrera Cup. You've got Toyota that are doing the same with the 86s. There are plenty of categories out there. Obviously, there's benefits for something like an S five thousand at the Gold Coast or Adelaide or or whatever. Um, we've ha- we have had some rounds that are fairly lean on really meaningful supports. But I mean, at the end of the day, if you've got supercars, you've got you've got your main product. That's what's always going to drive the people coming through the gate. Do you think that there is actually a huge benefit for supercars if they did want to try and utilise the ARG categories better?
3: I mean, I guess, firstly, like, I look at that through the lens of a race fan that just wants to see all the best categories at all the best events. Like, that's the ideal scenario for for the fan, but but you're right in the sense of like packing out these big events where you've got the likes of Porsche and Toyota paying good money to be on there. It's it, they're not the events where supercars uh, support card looks a little thin. It is those those other ones like Simmons planes and whatever that would give less benefit to the ARG categories being on it. So. Yeah, if if supercars desperately needed ARG categories, then this whole thing wouldn't really be a problem, would it? Because yeah. it would have just worked itself out. But um, exactly, that's that's not really the position they're in.
2: Mm, all pretty messy. Speaking of things that have been messy at some point <laughs> over the last I don't know twelve months, twenty four months. Let's uh, move on to some developments in in Gen three. Um, so we've seen a fair few changes, either ratified or close to. Obviously, you know, we, we've been talking about the front end of the car for months now and how it's undergone a fairly big redesign in terms of uh, making the cars easier to work on making it easier to make adjustments um, you know making it easier for guys to to work on the the, the engines and all that sort of stuff um, speaking of the engines it appears that they've now been paratised or at least very close to it and will soon head to the US for significant dyno work to test durability and endurance uh, the top ends of the motors have been reworked since the decision to stick with the mechanical sequential gear shift to better deal with The inevitable overrebs that will come um, at the recent QR test, there was a fair bit of pit stop practice going on where a number of changes were trolled. Among them was the new lighter duty wheel nuts. Now, the idea of those is that teams will be able to use electric rattle guns in the garage um, and in future, probably during actual pit stops as well, although for the time being, crews will still need to use the pneumatic guns for the stops. Um, the air spike has been moved forward to the front quarter panel rather than the side window. The fuel filler has been moved from the rear quarter panel to the side quarter window um, there's a new look uh, control refueling coupler that's been actually signed off by Supercars now. Um, Supercars traditionally has used a, a refueling system with a separate fueling and breather hoses. It will now be an all-in-one system like most other categories use. That was be- that has been a bit of a sore point for some teams given there will obviously be a changeover cost in that and, and there was a theory that the driving force for the change was so that um, perhaps some people building the cars could then sell those cars overseas to race in other categories because they were more aligned with what other categories use. Um, anyway, the, the prototypes will currently be en route to the Bend for this weekend's event with plans for a dedicated session on Friday and then more testing on the Monday. Luke Yulden and Zane Goddard will be in the cars on Friday. Um, and on Monday will be Tim Slade, Jack LeBrock and Todd Hazelwood uh, and I think maybe Zane as well for the Monday running. Um, in, the, in Townsville, we saw the focus was on the suspension over the kerbs. For the Bend, it will be on the oil system and how it deals with surge through the fast corners. I think there has been some issues with that along the way so they'll be looking to see if they've been sorted and they can sign off on the oil system um sorry for the massive information dump there stefan what what catches your eye from uh, from all of that
3: yeah that's uh, that's you pretty much wrapping uh, what's uh, what's come out in in the last week it's been a bit of a charm offensive of little mm. uh, bits and pieces uh, boxes being ticked and all that which is um all sounds like good progress i guess um like the the bigger issue is this uh, this front end revision, which we've talked about uh, for some months. That's um, not even in the cars yet. Like there was yep. a lot of talk about um, bashing them over the curbs in Townsville, but the uh, the front end's going to be different in the final specs. So, you know, Triple um, Eight designed all that stuff, and there was a fair bit of pushback, I think, from from DJR on some elements of it including the ease of setup changes and you know, fitting the Coyote engine in that uh, engine bay and all of that sort of stuff. So it's sort of been a technical discussion, but there's also a huge uh, political element to it as well. Mm-hmm. So I don't think uh, that stuff's going to go into the cars until after the bend. Um, so I dare say uh, they'll get a workout over those curbs at Sandown before they can... Uh, Sign that off, and then they will go into that process of ripping the Mustang apart to put the new uh, 2023 body on that before aero testing. So the front end stuff's all happening really late. Um, there's a lot still going on. What what is happening as well is actually these center sections of the chassis are being are being made, and I believe there's four four builders essentially of those. So mm-hmm. like Triple Eight, shores Pace Innovations and Jimmy White's Fab Shop, which is Erebus's fab partner, are all uh, are all working on that stuff, and they're going to be punching out a lot of these chassis in the next
2: uh, in the next few months. Yeah, that's definitely a positive uh, step. As we talked last week, you know, the, the concern from the teams is we can't do much at the moment, and we're going to have a lot to do at the end of the year. And even when you break down that timeline, I mean, the plan was to be aero testing in September, and we're at the end of you know July now. I mean, that's. There's a lot to do, particularly when you factor in the fact that we actually need a new body shape for the Mustang to to happen before we go testing in September. And again, that is, you know, something that we spoke about um, several months ago, you know, the the, the aero testing will always be subject to the actual launch of the the S650 Mustang, which we still don't know much about in terms of when it's going to be. But it can't, the aero testing can't happen until the car has been globally launched because, you know, you can't have guys just snapping iPhone pics of a brand new body shape as it races up and down a runway somewhere in the, in the middle of nowhere. Well, Stefan, sad news from across the ditch in New Zealand with the impending closure of motor racing activities at the famous Pukekohe Park. I think this is a great shame. Um, Pukekohe is clearly no yas Marina in terms of facilities, but that's actually what I always loved about it. You know, it's an old school racetrack. Um, it's the only one, as far as I know, where you can get a white bait fritter from a food van as you walk through the uh, fan area on the way in. Um, supercars just look badass driving around there, particularly in the last sector. It's just a it's it's a cool place. The fans, there's always a lot of people there. They're they highly passionate. They absolutely love it. It's always just been a fun place to go motor racing. You and I have had some pretty memorable trips together over there to watch uh, supercars at Pookie. Are you equally saddened by this news? And do you sort of agree that you know Hampton Downs will be the, the logical successor to to what to where we go next
3: yeah it's it's definitely sad and I think it was a genuine shock to most of us like I believe supercars did have some warning but um, the news leaked out a little earlier than they they'd expected like they'd gone over there for the launch of the 2022 event with a couple of drivers and then um, Yeah, this all came out basically the next day that um, from April next year, Pukekohe will be no more as a racetrack. So as you kind of covered off, like it's a a phenomenal racetrack and just a mega place for um, supercars to run, but also just the atmosphere of the Kiwi fans there. And, you know, like you and I weren't there for the glory days with Murph winning. I can only imagine what that would have been like, but Mm. we've been treated to some epic uh, battles between Shane and, and Scotty McLaughlin over yep. there and even that shootout I think in 2018 when like all five Kiwis were in the field, mm-hmm. um, like just the reaction um, from the fans on the front straight to that it's like it's just such a good place to, to go and watch watch supercars uh, and I can only hope that Hampton Downs can in some way replicate that. I don't even know how many fans they can they can fit in there. I think that might be uh, something they need to do a fair bit of work on. But uh, that does look like where it's going, so supercars won't be lost to New Zealand or vice versa. But definitely not having Pukekohe is a massive, massive loss, and it's a shame that they couldn't slot in another one in early twenty twenty three before yeah. it does actually shut. Like I believe they looked at it, but you know, with with Newcastle and AGP in that early part of the year and the uh, logistical elements of um, getting supercars. Uh, Across the water they just couldn't do
2: it I think that the atmosphere is going to be Pretty special uh, at Pookie this year That's for sure particularly after the break Of a couple of years and then with this news that this will Be the last one there it's going to be it's going to be something pretty special, I think. But, yeah, look, it's uh, – yeah, I, I just think it's a shame. And and, and obviously, you know, Hampton Downs is all, already serves, you know, the motor racing needs of the area to a very large extent because of the way that Pukekohe is a shared facility and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, clearly there's work that needs to be done to make sure it can house the amount of people that it needs to um, for a supercars event. That, I guess that was all kind of looked at when, when Hampton Downs was going to host supercars in 2020. So it's all doable stuff, but it's just a case of – yeah, actually getting it done and, and and will it have the same soul that Pukekohe had? You know, the answer's probably in the short term no, um, but, you know, Kiwis still love their motor racing and I'm pretty sure they're still going to turn out to watch it. All right, the bend this weekend, Stefan. Mustangs have won 10 of the last 11 races there in the South Aussie countryside, which bodes well for the likes of Dick Johnson Racing. Uh, Cam Waters as well for this weekend. Remember we saw Andre Heimgarner run away with a race last year in a Grove Racing Mustang, so David Reynolds might be licking his lips heading to the bend this weekend, even if their form has dipped a little bit uh, lately. What are you expecting to see out there?
3: Yeah, I think it's, it has been a bit of a Mustang track, and, and we've also seen this year the, the qualifying speed of the Mustangs has been uh Really, really strong, so um, you'd expect pace-wise for those two Deja cars and, and Cam Waters to be to be right there, and and Grove's probably the wild card. They should be in the mix too, but um, you certainly never uh, count out Triple Eight, and then you also factor in that they were able to test there um, last week, as, as we spoke about last week, using that rookie day for Brock Feeney to... Um, go to another racetrack and, and get some laps on a track that's been a little bit up and down for them over the last uh, couple of years. So I feel like that's a significant free kick for them. It Certainly, they were able to roll out that process at Winton and yeah. that had been sort of a bogey track and and they were very good there this year. So, um, yeah, as usual, it's probably going to be too close to uh, to call uh, in the build-up, but uh, it looks to be a bit of a tasty weekend.
2: Yeah, I wanted to mention the Winton thing because all the talk on the Thursday at Winton was how that test hadn't gone that well for them and they hadn't really learnt much. But clearly there were some gains to come out of it if we look at how well um, Shane did across that weekend uh, at a track where they don't always run right right at the front. Um, just to follow up on that little testing kerfuffle that we, uh, the, that we revealed last week about the rookie days and that sort of stuff, uh, I've been told by supercars that they... They are set to review the wording of the rookie testing rules at the end of the season, just to clear up any grey areas um, in the rule. Whether that means they will be able to continue to test at multiple alternate tracks or limited to one, I'm not entirely clear on that. But my understanding is that Supercars was pretty comfortable with what what Triple Eight did, um, so there is certainly no issues in terms of um, in terms of what happened. And perhaps the rule will be cleared up to that effect that you can use multiple tracks within your allocation.
3: And I think the other the other point about the bend is um, I saw some uh, supercars marketing with "Feel the Heat at the Bend" as mm-hmm. the as the tagline. So make sure to bring your shorts and uh, and your thinnest t-shirt because it sounds like it's going to be pretty hot down there.
2: Well, as you are our resident South Aussie, I'll just take your advice blindly, uh, Stefan. I won't even bother looking at the forecast. I'll just it's tank tops and uh, short shorts for days. Excellent. Well, given this is the anniversary of Heimgartner's first supercar's win, plus he's been in a pretty good patch of form for Brad Jones racing recently. I grabbed him on the phone to see how he's feeling heading back to the bend this weekend. Um, yeah, so I mean it's sort of the, the anniversary of your, your big win at the bend, not so much in terms of the date because we're a bit later in the year as we were last year, but yeah, it still must be a nice feeling going back there. Do you sort of does it hold some nice memories heading back to the bend?
1: Yeah, well, any track you can win at and especially, obviously, your first win, it's pretty special. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. It's a track I seem to gel with well. My driving style suits that track. And um, so, yeah, looking back to going there, it looks like it'll be wet maybe <laughs> again this year, which uh, obviously good because we won in the wet last year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. You go with a bit more confidence uh, knowing that you'll have a good weekend.
2: It's been a happy hunting ground for Mustangs, I think, 10 of the last 11 races there have been won by Mustangs including your win last year you're in a Commodore now obviously do you sort of feel that you can still take it to the Mustangs this weekend?
1: Yeah I don't think it really matters too much Uh, I think if you, you you manage to extract the most out of it you'll be there or thereabouts and um yeah, I don't really see it as a, a major issue for us. Uh, BJR car has been very fast in race pace, and I think we've made some good gains in qualifying this year. So um, no, I think it, it should be pretty strong. It's definitely nothing that we're sort of uh, considering too much.
2: You, you talk about the BJR pace. I mean, it has been really, really good, and it's just been incredibly consistent, I guess, um, in terms of from whenever it was sort of Perth onwards when things started to kind of kind of gel. We're, we're used to seeing BJR cars go good every now and then, but we've been to some pretty different circuits, you know, Hidden Valley, Tanzu, and places, and you've been right up the front. Have you guys really unlocked something with the setup in that car now? Have you found the, a genuine gain, do you think?
1: Uh, I think so, yeah. It's always hard to know and you never want to say it too early. But, yeah, I guess as you said, we've gone to so many different
2: types of circuits the last
1: three or four rounds and, you know, varying amount of success, but success nonetheless at all of them. So, um, yeah, there's some good gems to take along with that. And that's something, I guess, that you always struggle with as a team and a driver is, Having a consistent amount of you know performing at a consistent level, and then trying to understand why that is, and trying to replicate that for other tracks, and you know try and uh, make it a bit more stable and a bit more consistent, which is the battle. So for us, we're finding little tools, little things that have worked different traits at different tracks um, that work with different, you know, surfaces, different curbs, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think we're starting to get a bit of a picture in our mind and, um, yeah, it's all heading in the right direction and uh, just my luck, it'll be just going good by the time we need to switch to a new generation <laughs> of car.
2: <laughs> you, um, you, you played a big part in the silly season last year with your move from, you know, Kelly Groves, as it was at the time, to BJR. Now, obviously, you know, there's a lot of investment going into Grove – uh, racing and all that sort of stuff. But you guys are really, really performing really well there at BJR. Do you feel that sort of vindicates, you know, your decision to, to make that switch when, from what we understand, there was the option to stay where you were for this season?
1: Yeah, I don't want to talk about it too much, but I'm, I'm happy with um, where I am and um, joining BJR has been, you know, a pleasant surprise, if anything. You know, I knew, knew I was going to a good team. You know, they've had Nick in the top ten in the championship the last few years and got some great results. so I knew I was joining a good team, and yeah, we've. Out really well together. I enjoy going to Albury, believe it or not, and uh, getting amongst the country vibes. I'm a country boy from New Zealand anyway, so it all sort of works out nice. And Brad and the team and everyone's been, um, you know, so accommodating. So it's been um, all pretty smooth sailing so far.
2: Hey, speaking of New Zealand, um, some sad news. Well, I think it's sad news uh, from over there, you know, um, late last week with the impending closure of Pukekohe and the motor racing there. What's your take on that? I mean, it's just such a classic, iconic New Zealand circuit. You you must feel it's sad news, right?
1: Yeah, it's one I didn't see coming, I think, was the more shocking part. It's, um, you know, it sounds a bit pathetic, but I was almost in a bit of tears in some ways because, um, you know, for so many young Kiwis and especially myself, that's where I got introduced to supercars. I remember sitting on the grandstand, um directly uh in front of where they had the podiums and stuff and watching you know greg murphy um rick kelly marcus ambrose blast around and thinking oh this is so good and then obviously greg was quite successful during that time so um it was a great time to be a kiwi great time to be a supporter and that's just you know the core memories of of my whole motorsport career go back to those days so you know to think that um that that circuit won't be anymore after next year you know it's quite um it's quite upsetting i guess that's sort of what inspired me to be where i am today and um you know sitting on the other side of that fence i never thought you know, realistically, I could get there and to sort of be here now, it's a bit unreal. And, um, you know, I I really, really, really want to win or um, at least be on the podium at that home track and sort of complete the the loop, I guess, from being in the the grandstand and then, you know, realizing my dream and and being on the podium or winning there. So it's always... um, yeah, it's always, always a tricky one. We have so many good circuits in New Zealand, so um, I'm sure we'll find an adequate replacement. But the, the history of Pukekohe, I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's like sand downs, you know, steeped in history.
2: I mean, Hampton Downs is the one everyone's talking about. It's probably been the logical successor to, the, to that um, Supercars round. Um, is that what you could see playing out, that we just sort of move down the highway a little bit and, 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 and go racing there?
1: Yeah, I think it's logical. Tony Quinn's done an amazing job with that, that facility and um, it makes sense. It's close to Auckland. It's a, it's a pretty cool track. It creates some good racing and got good facilities. So for sure, it, it makes a lot of sense. But um, I think, you know, I'd, I'd love to see them do another one um, in New Zealand. I think the New Zealand people get around it so much and we love our motorsport. We're a massive motorsport nation. And, um, yeah, it'd be wicked to see. But I think uh, Hampton Downs is probably the most obvious one for now.
2: And we thank Andre for his time there. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Joseph Newgarden won the first of the IndyCar doubleheader races in Iowa ahead of Pato O'Ward and Will Power. O'Ward then won the second race from Power and Scott McLaughlin, while Newgarden spun out of the lead and crashed heavily. He was initially checked by IndyCar Medical and released before later fainting in the paddock. He was then sent to hospital where he spent the night. Uh, Newgarden was released on the Monday to return home and Santino Ferrucci is on a standby to take his seat for this weekend's IMS road course race if needed. In NASCAR, there was plenty of drama at Pocono, with race winner Denny Hamlin and second-place Kyle Wush excluded with their cars' failed post-race technical checks. It was due to some tape uh, on the front bumpers, I think, that was uh, under the wrap. Uh, That promoted Chase Elliott to the race win. Uh, Early in the race, Denny Hamlin ran Ross Chaston into the wall in what looked like a bit of payback after a few run-ins between the pair so far this season. And Charles Leclerc crashed out of the lead of the French Grand Prix and gifted victory and another 25 championship points to Max Verstappen. mercedes Pierre Lewis Hamilton and George Russell were second and third, the latter passing Sergio Perez after a VSC in what was a tense battle for the final step on the podium. Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth, two spots behind McLaren teammate Lando Norris. Stefan, it's a 63-point lead for Max Verstappen now, and I just keep thinking back to the Australian Grand Prix when Red Bull was having all these power unit issues and the Ferrari looked so fast, and Verstappen was basically something he had no chance of winning the title And here we are We're not even at the summer break And he's basically got the thing shot to pieces Like it's amazing, right? Oh, it's, it's really fallen apart
3: for Ferrari No question Like they've had reliability issues But then some driver mistakes too Which um, sort of in the modern era You don't really expect these guys to be just dropping it Like, like Charles did on Sunday and, uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't help but feel for him, really, like that scream he let out over the radio when he was in the fence was um, was heartbreaking to hear, but at the same time kind of good to hear the emotion, you know, like it shows yeah. how much it means to these guys. Um, and I think Ferrari overall, like they're, they've always been an easy target for criticism, but um, you look like at Carlos Sainz's race too and some of the back and forth over the radio about pit stops and um the false information they gave him about a stop-go penalty, it's um, its all just not quite uh, as refined as Red Bull and doesn't really feel like a team that's uh, ready to win a championship.
2: It's just a shame that we don't—that they aren't there, that they aren't ready to do that and we don't have a better title fight because, you know, on pace, the, the cars seem to make their pace quite differently but it all sort of washes out somewhere evenly and we've actually kind of got all the ingredients for like a pretty epic title fight between Max and, and Charles or even... You know, like Sergio and and Carlos are right there as well, but we don't have it because of all the things you just mentioned, which is kind of a shame. It is, but at the same time,
3: obviously, they're they're right there on pace, so every weekend you can go into it uh, pretty excited about watching a Grand Prix and knowing the battle will be pretty good. So, yeah, even if if Max sort of ends up walking away with the title, um, yeah, it looks like there's plenty of exciting racing to come.
2: All right, let's dip into the Castrol mailbag. Frank Dealy asks about the monetary value of winning a supercars race and if there are bonuses for fastest laps and all that sort of stuff. So in terms of prize money, under the modern structure, there is really only the $1,000 that comes from Armorall for a pole position. The series doesn't provide any prize money beyond that. Um, instead, there is effectively the appearance fee that's part of what's now known as the team's racing charter. Um, so that's it at a series level. At a team level, results can definitely be used for financial incentives built into driver's deals. Uh, Every single deal is different, but some drivers will have win bonuses, podium bonuses, pole bonuses, or even bonuses for top 10 finishes. Um, The bonus structure will generally relate in some way to the starting salary. So a higher starting salary will often mean less bonuses and uh, vice versa, but every driver's deal is is different. Um, Stefan, I've seen your work on the Sim on a Friday night. Surely you'd be a wins bonus man through and through.
3: I um I'd be more about getting that money for the pit stop challenge because that's the other area you can make some uh, cash ah, in good, supercars by the point. boys rattling the wheels on and off pretty fast, boys and girls I should say. But um, yeah, like the the wind bonus thing's interesting too because um, some teams do that actually with with all their stuff. Like um, certainly Triple Eight, at least in the past, has been very big on that. Um, to have everyone engaged in the pursuit of winning, and uh, some sponsorship deals are also there's a significant bonus to the team, especially if they win a championship or a Bathurst. So um, yeah, there's there's lots of consequences for winning, but as you say, in terms of the actual prize money, there's none. And and from memory, I think that goes back to like um, certainly before the Archer sale. So I reckon it was like sort of the end of two thousand and nine that. Um, Roland Dane actually um, was behind what really was the end of any prize money. Like in that sort of era, all the revenues were kind of split, um, you know, 90% equalized, but then there was still 10% of it was paid out as prize money. And he yeah. really led the charge to uh, just make it equal for all, which essentially is what that rec model was, was built on, the equality of, of revenues on that, on that scale.
2: Yeah, which kind of, it it helps limit the rich getting richer, I suppose, which is the whole point of it. All right, it's Castrol Star of the Week time. Uh, Stefan, this week I'm going to give my Castrol Star to NASCAR legend Jimmy Johnson, who finished an IndyCar career best fifth in the second of those Iowa races. Uh, It's been a pretty long road for Jimmy since switching from NASCAR to open wheelers, but, you know, it's pretty cool to see him go out there and and get a result. Uh, Who does your Castrol Star go to this week? I'll uh, stick uh,
3: with the USA theme, and uh, I'm going for Ty Gibbs, the 19-year-old grandson of legendary NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs. Uh, Ty ordinarily runs in the Xfinity Series, but he made his Cup Series debut as a last-minute stand-in for Kurt Busch at uh, 23.11 Racing there on the weekend. He hadn't even sat in a Cup car until Sunday, and he finished that
2: Pocono race in the top 20, so I thought that was a pretty cool story. A worthy star recipient. Now, just before we go, Castrol Racing has a cool competition going at the moment. Uh, they want to see your castro inspired helmet designs. Uh, to enter, you need to head to the Castro Racing Facebook page, save the template, and then get creative. You can design it in Photoshop or print it off and pull out the crayons, then send your design directly to the Castrol Racing Facebook page. The best design will win a Castrol merch pack with a jacket, shirt, and hat. Entries for that close on August 3rd. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News.
0: Hey, it's Chaz Mostad here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.